You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Canaan and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father then realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. G'day. Good to see you. Let's pray. Father God, watch over our time together. Open our hearts to hear your word. We pray that you would speak to us and draw us to yourself. Pour your love into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need hope? I do. I need hope to get out of bed in the morning to face what I think is a difficult day, a difficult week, to face the future. When I was in school, I was in a lot of fights. I can remember distinctly a day when I was fighting three people. I ended up on the ground and being kicked. I curled up in a fetal ball trying to protect my head. What did I need? Hope. When I was in school, uh, the headmaster told me that I was the dumbest student that he had ever met. My destiny was to be at the bottom of the heap. What did I need? Hope. When I got my VCE results, A, D, E, E, E. I failed. I felt like a loser. What did I need? Hope. Do you need hope? I think we all do. What is the opposite of happiness? It's not sadness or anger. If you're sad or angry, you still care about something. The opposite of happiness is hopelessness, that endless grey horizon of resignation and indifference, the belief that everything is stuffed. Why do anything at all? Recently I've been reading a book by a guy called 
Mark Manson. The book is, you may have seen it on the bookshelves, everything is, it's blacked out. The polite version would be stuffed. Everything is stuffed, a little book about hope. Despite the attention-grabbing title, it's a reasonable book, an interesting book. He's insightful, lots of good things to say. This is what he says about hope. Our psyche needs hope. Hope to survive the way a fish needs water. Hope is the fuel for our mental engine. It's the butter on our biscuit. It's a lot of really cheesy metaphors without hope. Your whole mental apparatus will stall or starve. If we don't believe there's any hope, that the future will be better than the present, that our lives will improve in some way, we will spiritually die. After all, if there's no hope of things ever getting better, why live? Why do anything? He's right. You can't live without hope, but I don't share his faith. I don't look at the life the way he does. Let me read the way he looks at life. This is how he begins the book. In such a cheery, helpful way. If I worked in Starbucks, instead of writing people's names on their coffee cups, I'd write, one day you and everyone you love will die. And beyond a small group of people, for an extremely brief period of time, little of what you say or do will ever matter. This is the uncomfortable truth of life. And everything you think or do is but an elaborate avoidance of it. We are inconsequential cosmic dust, bumping and milling about on a tiny blue speck. Is that the way you look at life? Perhaps it is. Perhaps you think that's where the science takes you. But today I want to suggest there's an alternative. It comes from the story Jesus tells about Jesus. The story is about one man's journey from hopelessness to joy. It's a journey that has three steps. Here are the words, faith, hope, and joy. It begins with faith. Faith is what you believe to be true. Your faith gives birth to hope. Hope is a confidence about the future. Hope can express itself in joy. And joy is deeper than happiness. Joy gives you a confidence, a resilience that your circumstances can't take away. So look at the story with me. It begins in Galilee. After, the two day, after two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Now, why do they welcome Jesus? Why the hospitality? They'd seen what he had done in Jerusalem. 
But note how Jesus responds. He says, a prophet has no honour in his own country. See, Jesus believes that their hospitality is only skin deep. They only want what he can give. They don't want him. Imagine, and this will be difficult for some of you I know, but imagine that your family has money. Lots of money. Someone gets to know you. They're warm and friendly and engaging. They, they say they want to marry you. You get married. But not long after the wedding, your husband, your wife realises that they're not going to get their hands on the money. And they leave you because they want the money. How would you feel at that point? Maybe you would feel used that you were not loved, that you were simply a means to an end. Jesus in this story, perhaps he is feeling used. People want what he can give. They don't want him. Now, you're in church today. You're sitting here listening to me. What are you looking for? Do you want something Jesus can give? Or do you honestly want him? Now, let me take you back to the story. The focus at this point is on an official. Verse 46. Once more Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. Now, can you identify with the man? Do you feel his pain? I can. Our daughter and her lovely husband, Matt, live in Alice Springs. Last year, their little boy, Fletcher, got really sick. They took him to hospital in Alice Springs, and the hospital almost immediately sent that little boy, Fletcher, to the children's hospital in Adelaide. He was sick. I find it easy to identify with the man in this story. When your kids are sick, it is rotten. Do anything to help them. You feel helpless and you need Hope. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. His walk from Capernaum to Cana, maybe 30 k's, it takes him 10 hours 
You don't need me to tell you why he did the walking. But let me briefly talk about faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and joy. Your life is like a house. Your faith is your foundation. Your faith is what you believe to be true. Your faith is what you believe to be true about why we're here, how life works, what is good. Your faith is what you depend upon to be happy, to do what you think is the right thing, to be the person you want to be. You build your life on your faith. And your faith gives you the hope you need to face the future. Who or what do you put your faith in? We all live by faith. We all have faith in something or somebody. And we all just get along in life. We all just live, exist, until our foundations are rocked. Rocked by some kind of earthquake. See, in this story, the earthquake is death. A dad fears his little son will die. What he believes about life is shaken. He is shaken to the core. And he desperately looks for something better. And Jesus, in this story, is better. You may be here today because the foundations of your life have been rocked by an earthquake. I hope you'll do what the dad in this story did. I hope you'll consider Christ. That you'll look at the evidence. That you'll weigh the evidence. That you'll do some thinking. You may be here today because you're sitting on the fence. But let me tell you, you won't be able to resolve everything by simply thinking about it. For example, you can read a book about marriage. You can think that you've got it all in your head until you marry somebody. You won't really learn about marriage until you commit to somebody, until you begin to live with somebody. And let me suggest it's the same with Jesus. You can't know him without some kind of commitment to him. The dad in this story comes to Jesus, he weighs the evidence, he puts his faith in Jesus, you see it in what he does. But does Jesus give him the hope that he so desperately needs? See, look at verse 48. Jesus says, unless you, peep, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. See, why is Jesus holding him at arm's length? Maybe he wants to see if he's more interested in what he can give. Maybe he wants to know if he's gripped by Jesus himself. But please note this. Jesus doesn't wait for his attitude to change. Jesus says, go, 
your son will live. Absolutely extraordinary. I will help you. I actually don't need to travel anywhere. I can do it from here. I am more than you think I am. Go. Your son is healed. Now, what does the dad in the story do? Look at verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. What will give you hope? Believing that Jesus will do what he promises to do. What will give you hope? Believing that Jesus will do what he promises to do. My first two months at uh, university were difficult. I had few friends. I was living in a house with Colin and Colin and I didn't get along real well. I was just learning to read the Gospels. I can remember a night sitting in my bed late reading Matthew 6. Jesus' words hit me in the face. Do not worry, he said. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What did I do? I began to believe that Jesus would do what he promised to do. I began to put him first. To let him guide me, lead me. What gave me hope? Believing that Jesus would do what he promised to do. So let me say it again. You may be here today because you're sitting on the fence. You're looking, you're exploring. Let me gently suggest it's time to get off the fence. You can't know Jesus without doing what he tells you to do. You see that in the story. The dad in the story does what Jesus tells him to do. He walks home. His faith in Jesus gives him hope. And his hope, dare I say it, expresses itself in joy. See, look at verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him. Then the father realised that this was his exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole family believed. Now, did the official's family think that Jesus had anything to do with the boy's recovery? And the simple answer, I think, must be no. They would have assumed that he recovered naturally. It's only when the father returns that they are offered a different perspective. 
The father tells them about his conversation with Jesus. He tells them about when the conversation took place. The father's joy, and I think that's the best way of putting it, overflows. He says to his family, more or less, we are not inconsequential cosmic dust bumping and milling about on a tiny blue speck. We are actors in a story created by the God who comes in Jesus to reveal himself to us and to bring us into his family. That's what he says. And his family believed. Who is Jesus? John gives you a clue in verse 54. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, what was the first sign? It's what Jesus did at the wedding at Cana. There was no wine. Jesus' mum urges him to do something to help. She says to the servants, do, note the language, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you. Jesus says, fill the jars with water. They do. Later, the MC discovers that the jars are now filled with wine. This story is the second sign. In this story, a father begs Jesus to give life to his dying son. Jesus says, go, your son is healed. The man believes. He goes home. Now, what do these two signs tell you about Jesus? That his words are powerful. That Jesus, by speaking, can give life. Do they point you to Genesis chapter 1, the first book in the Bible? I think they do. Genesis 1 tells you the story of creation. Read it. God says, let there be light, and there was light. God's words, Genesis 1 tells us, are powerful. Jesus in this story says, go, your son is healed, and he is. Jesus is doing what God does in Genesis 1. And this is just the beginning. Later in John, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He then multiplies bread to feed thousands. He does it twice. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and then gives life to a dead man. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and then gives light to the eyes of a man who's blind. 
The miracles, Jesus' miracles, are signs. They point to the truth that he is God. They point to the truth that we are all actors in a story created by God. We're not inconsequential cosmic dust. They point to a future where there is no more suffering or death or injustice or chaos. They tell you who to put your faith in now. How to hope that joy is possible. Ten years ago, my friend Dave was diagnosed with cancer. Dave grew up in a Christian family. He was a Christian, but the diagnosis was an earthquake. It rocked his boat. Listen to what he says. The doctors told me I had no hope of being cured because my cancer was too far advanced. Tumour incurable. I was devastated and hopeless. There were no medical options for removing the cancer. The best they could offer me was to try and keep me alive longer by slowing the progression of the cancer. Since I had no hope of a cure, I had to look from the beginning for a hope beyond cure. What did he do? Lying in hospital on a bed. He decided that he had to, ought to, must reread the story of Jesus. This is what he says. As I examined the gospel accounts and considered possible explanations for them, I was persuaded that there are very good reasons to take Jesus seriously. And I came to realise the alternative explanations were difficult to believe and that the record the four gospels provide than the records the four gospels provide. Jesus has something to offer someone like me, someone with terminal cancer. He was raised from death. Doesn't that change everything? Creation gives us a glimpse of the colossal power of God. If God did raise Jesus from the dead, and if he promises to do the same for those who trust him, wouldn't we want to be a part of that? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, watch over us this day as we consider you as we consider the hope that you give us. Persuade us that you have been raised from death, that you live now to lead, to guide, to help, to lift us up, to bring light into the darkness which so often pervades us in the world we live in. Be at work, we pray, and draw us to yourself. For your glory, we ask.
Amen.